This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Wharton Frank Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Our guest consists of experts like the world's leading authority on long-term economic growth, Bob Gordon. We will continue to see jobs created rather than destroyed. Former chair of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen. I mean, I don't think either of us ever expected that we would live through a financial crisis. Or even the head of the Digital Indian Foundation, Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome to Behind the Markets here on Business Radio, powered by the Warren School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, Global Head of Research at Wisdom Tree. My co-host is Warren Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, author of Stocks for the Long Run and the Future for investors. Also joining us for the show today is Jeff Winninger, who's a director of asset allocation at Wisdom Tree. Please note, Jeff and I are registered representatives of Foresight Fund Services. Professor Siegel is a senior advisor to Wisdom Tree. Our discussion is not tied to the offer of investment products. The views of our guests are their own and not those of Wisdom Tree affiliates. The securities discussed in this conversation may be held in Wisdom Tree ETFs. It's our first show of the year, and wow, Professor Siegel, it's going to be uh, an interesting to get your view. We've got Got uh, obviously some jobs reports this morning, but a lot of things happening in Washington. How are you looking at the from the end of the year to where we are today? Well, you, Jeremy, you're absolutely right. How much has happened uh, uh, in these uh, two week period? Um, let me let me go to what what is most important, uh, and that is the Dems surprisingly taking the Senate. Not expected, um, certainly uh, in uh, uh, middle of December. Um, and then what could be considered the even more surprising, uh, very positive reaction uh, from Wall Street. Now, uh, we've always said that there's two parts to the, the Democratic program, the Biden program. Uh, the first part is Huge extra spending, very positive for the market. The negative, higher taxes. Um, in this bull phase right now, obviously the market is uh, stock market is looking at the former, uh, um, and indeed, as I said last year. Uh, the market was going to go up this year, whether it was a Biden presidency or, or not. Um, uh, liquidity is more important than anything else into the market, and uh, more is likely to be provided. We'll get more boost to the money supply um, and, and, and federal spending. Uh, however, we will have a tax increase this year, and there will be a corporate tax increase this year. Uh, I do not believe it will be uh, as big as the Biden one because 50-50 in the Senate and a narrow margin in the House is is not inducive of getting everything you want. But there will be a tax increase. I've heard some people say, oh, they're not going to raise the taxes. Uh, Yeah, they will. Now, the question is also when will it be effective? a lot of it will be pushed into 2022 because the economy is still weak. I mean, the jobs report showed a big slowdown in December, and the virus is still raging. Um, it's a fight now between the virus and the vaccine. Um, uh, the economy will reopen. Uh, there's just no question about that. Um, but we, we definitely have uh, – uh, uh, there will be extra taxes. Uh, so some of this extra profits – that will be engendered by the Biden program will be scooped back by the tax increase. Um, and that should lead to uh, a cooling off of some of the, uh, of the enthusiasm. But it, I still, uh, I was on CNBC saying up year 10 to 15% because uh, the push on liquidity um, is, is more important than the tax increase. I think there's bubbles forming. I mean, you know, Tesla, Bitcoin, and it could go a lot higher before it finally breaks. Um, but overall, 
and, and despite certain stocks being sent up at, at uh, really dizzying heights, uh, the overall valuation of market, 20 to 22 times next year's earnings, well, now this year's earnings on 2021, as I said, I think we're going to exceed estimates. I think when the boom comes and the liquidity comes, you know, we could be seeing 170, 175 dollars on the S&P 500, not the 165 that is now being um, uh, estimated by the uh, the analysts. Very, very interesting. I mean, and rates seem to have been screaming yeah. higher here. We've got past one percent, and it just keeps trending a little bit higher. I mean, that you know, and of course, as you know, on this program, I've been saying this every single week since the summer. Uh, that uh, the bond, the Treasury bond market is the single worst place for investors, um, and uh, clearly with the Biden program, it's even worse. Um, dollars down. We'll take a look at emerging markets, up two percent today. Um, uh, foreign markets, don't give up on your foreign value, uh, valuation now. We did have a right after uh, the, the Dems took the Senate. We did have a, a big bounce in value versus growth, but, you know, growth has reasserted itself and now taken back all that. But still, I think value will outperform growth this year because of just the relative valuations uh, between the two. But I think the 10 years headed up to, uh, you know, maybe 2% by the end of the year. Fed is going to keep very low. Unemployment's going to stay high. Uh, political pressure from Biden and now the Democratic government uh, is going to be, to, you know, pedal to the metal to absorb the millions of people that, you know, uh, became unemployed as a result of the uh, coronavirus. Yeah, and I know one of the big themes we were talking with you last year a lot about was this inflation theme. That's going to be one of the things that pushes interest rates higher. Do you think there's this push-pull? I mean, gold today seems to be taking it on yeah, higher rates, it seems to be trading. I, I think that Bitcoin's sucking, sucking it out of gold. Uh, the younger generation just thinks that's the hedge, and the institutions are giving the nod. Yeah, it's really hard to explain, you know, other than that, people are saying, all right, I'm getting out of my gold hedge, I'm just going into Bitcoin. I think they're going to regret that, uh, and I think there's going to be a turnaround, but, you know, this, as we all know, trends like this continue far more than, uh, you know, than be, you expect and economic justification. Uh, let's go, you know, as I said, when the CRB index of commodities uh, is up, oil, uh, Brent oil is 55 right now. Uh, um, uh, so, you know, if you, if you, you know, you don't have to be a one horse pony on uh, the inflation. Um, uh, there, there are other commodity based bets. Again, remember, I'm not, not expecting hyperinflation. I'm not expecting even high single digit, but I'm expecting inflation. Uh, as I said seven months ago, of three, four, five percent, mostly we will start seeing it when the virus numbers are down and everyone begins spending it again, which I think will be the uh, the spring and early summer. Very good. And I, just one final thing on, on when these multiples keep going on things like Tesla, like how do you think about what pops the the, the change? Like what what's going to be the catalyst, if anything, to turn sentiment around here? Uh, you bu bubble any little trip, the trend followers will jump off. Any little, any little negative that's put in, and then a Bitcoin, it could be anything from you know, gonna, you know, government's going to crack down on capital gains to a whole new payment system that that you know was going to be Fed Fed wire that's going to be more efficient than anything else. Remember. Bitcoin it still has a lot of problems in terms of you know small transactions. The transactions cost for making it a real medium of exchange are really are really challenged. And or the government could just say we're now going to enforce the same uh, money laundering rules uh, on Bitcoin that we enforce on currency and the banks. Wow, that any anything that even hints at something like that could break the fever. Um, uh, anything on Tesla, some breakthrough on some other auto manufacturer or something that comes up. Uh, you never know when it can <laughs> when it can happen. Um, I, you know, I'm not short any of these assets. <laughs> well, very, well, very good. It's always great to get your feedback and good to hear it start the new year. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you next week.
you know, we're going to have a, an extended conversation with, with Jeff Winninger, who's the director of asset allocation at Wisdom Tree, and, and also John Davi of Astoria Advisors, sort of founder, CIO. Um, they put together a lot of interesting model portfolios. We've been talking to John. I've known John for well over a decade, uh, and they, they've been a, a client of Wisdom Tree's. Uh, John, Jeff, uh, welcome to Behind the Markets. Great to be here, Jeremy. Um, maybe right you could re- maybe we could react a little bit to Professor Siegel's first points. Maybe Jeff, just quickly starting with you. I know you've been writing about Tesla recently, uh, and and sort of what indexes don't own Tesla. And obviously, we're not going to talk about a specific index here. But what what's any thoughts on what's been going on the the hype we've seen around that theme? Yeah, Tesla, which is worth um, more than the top ten uh, biggest auto manufacturers in the world combined. Um, yeah, the, the addition in late December. Uh, of Tesla to the S&P 500 made that name a 1.7% allocation. And one of the things we were we were playing around with with the Tesla numbers, uh, I mean, Jeremy, it, it's been so much, I'm talking about two or three weeks ago, we, I was doing this math, this thing just keeps on running. Um, it, it, what I was back at the envelope,ing this thing was, if you just had the, 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 the stock retrace back to where it was in late summer, and you could lop 50, 75, 100 basis points um, off of the S&P 500's performance just from this one company should it end up declining. I mean, it, and there, there's some things going on in here. I mean, look, I, I understand the wonders of, of electric vehicles and so on, but, I mean, you also have the CEO speculating about Bitcoin, um, a firm that was on death's door two, three years ago when, when bankruptcy was a real possibility in terms of just corporate finance, you shouldn't be considering anything other than stable cash on your balance sheet for liquidity reasons. To even, to even go on social media and speculate about, about Bitcoin takes it out of the electric vehicle business and puts it into the speculation business. So as, as Jeremy Siegel was mentioning, there's some, there's some loony things going on here in, in, this, in the stock market that remind me of, frankly, when Standard & Poor's added AOL. To the index, which, if, I, if memory serves, when I was talking about this a few weeks ago, was something like December 23rd of 98. And Jeremy, you flipped. Well, that means maybe we got five months left in this thing if, if AOL was added in December of 98 and the dot com peak for NASDAQ was in March of 2000. So go figure. So, so, John, you just produced a report for your major themes of 2021. How are you looking at this market and the world? Uh, what's your worldview as you, you come into 2021? Sure, absolutely. And just to mention to Jeff, I, I think one thing that you just said, though, with Tesla, you know, I think it's beyond just the, the car company and there's, you know, solar panels and just a bunch of other stuff, batteries. And I, I think that's why it's getting a little bit more of a multiple uh, along the fact that, you know, retail investors are just euphoric about stocks and stock investing. So, um, but for us, Jeremy, and thanks for being, you know, allowing me to be back on the show. So, you know, our my background is macro cross-asset. I spent 20 years on, on the sell side, 10 years in research, publishing, uh, macro, you know, quant- quantitative topics, and then the other 10 working on the trading floor. And all the clients I dealt with for 20 years were institutional clients, you know, hedge funds, pension funds. Um, so, you know, everything we do at Astoria Portfolio Advisors in terms of portfolio construction is through that lens. So this you know, ETF dedicated outlook report where we specifically mentioned tickers and I won't mention on this show, but, you know, I've been doing this report for 10 years. I I believe I was the first person in the industry to do it. But, you know, a lot of the themes that you've talked about with Jeremy Siegel, you know, on this show, um, you know, things that we also subscribe to. So we are, you know, believers of, you know, the macroeconomic uh, cycle and how, you know, things come uh, complete circle. And, um, you know, we've been also positioning our portfolio since last June for higher inflation, you know, value-oriented stocks, sectors, and regions of the world. Um, and, you, you know, you can go on our website, storyadvisors.com, and you can, you know, see our, you know, videos, CNBC and whatnot. Or, I mean, our June investment committee deck, the title was Increasing the Cali of Our Portfolio. So I think right now is where you want to own, you know, these inflation-sensitive Themes, you know, smaller mid-cap stocks. Um, you know, nobody want to own commodities. You know, for Richard, the last ten years, when you're in this large-cap beta index inflow story, you know. But really, you know, in the last 
you know, three, four, six months, you know, with, as you guys been correctly mentioned on the show, you know, the M1 velocity rise, you know, the, the money's really flown through the end retail uh, investor and, and the end, you know, American citizen. So I think ultimately that leads to an increase in, in the commodity prices and, um, you know, bonds probably don't have a great year. And, uh, you know, investors, you know, having a little bit of like an embedded put with all the stimulus out there. So let's let's go deeper into the, the commodity theme. So, yeah, we've been talking a lot about inflation. We've been talking, you know, gold, as we just we touched on to start. How are you thinking about what parts of the commodity exposure you're looking for when you think about the themes of, of 2021? So, you know, I think gold served a a very valuable place in a portfolio, especially late in the economic cycle. You know, gold typically does better because, you know, investors are anticipating the end of the cycle. And, um, you know, I think that is what played out this time. It played out in 2008. So for us, you know, we're less uh, bullish on gold per se. But, you know, we've been looking at like metals and mining stocks, copper miners, you know, globally here in the U.S., the metals of mining, as well as, uh, you know, international metals of mining stocks. I mean, those things, you know, had, you know, 14, 15 P ratio now, you know, they were single digits before this melt up in the last six months. But if you just look at some of these, you know, metals of mining stocks, and I mean, they're up like 150, 200 percent since April. So clearly the market is saying, you know, that they are pricing in inflation. And maybe now is when commodities start to work, right? They didn't work the last 10 years because it's been one-way trade and large-cap beta. But, you know, you see investors rotate and, you know, into these, you know, value-oriented emerging markets, you know, commodity equities. So I think those is where I would put money, less in gold per se and more in like, you know, metals, um, you know, metals and mining stocks, you know, physical as well as the commodity equities. Jeff, when you think about what's going on to the onto this value rotation, how how are you thinking about? We talked a little bit about Tesla to start. Are you are you thinking? Where are you looking around the world as we think as we look at markets? What's what's some of your favorite ideas? Yeah, and and I think John really really hit on it, which is that the market is starting to price in inflation, but there's still a lot of um, holdouts on this. You look across sell side consensus for for 2021 for consumer price inflation. And whether it's Citibank or you know J.P. Morgan, Barclays, they're all at two, two point one on consensus for CPI for this upcoming year. To the extent that that ends up getting surprised to the upside, I think you have some legs in this. I mean, look, Jeremy, here's the deal: where are we looking for value? Value has only been on, depending on which index you're looking at, since the first week of November. Okay, we're three we're three months into this. The other side of it was fourteen years. 14, and I'm going back literally, S&P 500 growth relative to S&P 500 value. That run started before the global financial crisis. As I've oftentimes pointed out, you could be mid-career at this point and only ever known growth stocks outperforming value. So it's really, when you when you think about what populates these indexes, where, where are we looking? Okay, in growth indexes, it's oftentimes a lot of communication services, a lot of tech. And then the other side of that, is usually banks, basic materials, and energy. When you think about what Jeremy Siegel was alluding to earlier in the call, where the 10-year T-note is now on the rise, I think it was 111 or 112 in today's session. We had just broken up through one on that recently. That is a steepening yield curve situation because we have the, this wink-wink promise from the Fed that will be at ZERP, zero interest rate policy, out into 2023 or 2024. To the extent that the yield curve steepens, now you have a situation where that now liquefies, you know, whether it's regional banks, uh, uh, the large banks, it starts making a play for some of these. Tie that in hand with what you're seeing both in Europe and in the United States, which is a marginal propensity to allow these firms to buy back stock and or pay bigger dividends. And now you have this bull case. And that's why you're starting to see some of this stuff run while a lot of these other names are, are kind of stagnant, look at look at Amazon. Amazon, and pulled up the chart in five or six sessions or so, but Amazon has really dead money since I believe July. And so there's been this switcheroo that came either from the initial 
um, Pfizer vaccine announcement, which memory server was, I think, the 3rd or the 6th of November. And then also this this concept of regime change that perhaps uh, Democrats holding all all chambers um, in D.C. could be an inflationary situation. Let me just uh, bring it over to John. We're talking with John Davi of Astoria Advisors, Jeff Winninger, Director of Asset Allocation Wisdom Tree. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. Uh, John, you, one of your big themes is of 2021 is cyclical growth tied to what Jeff is just talking about here. So some of the energy, financials, how do you think about those versus the traditional growth sectors here? Sure. So you've got this margin of safety with you know those sectors because they do trade you know at a discount to the market you know for, for the most part. I mean, banks in particular you know, 15 PE ratio for a large cap money center bank. So, you know, with interest rates going higher, um, you know, I think banks, you know, will do relatively well outside of the fact that, you know, they've already been, you know, pretty diversified from a revenue standpoint, you know, as per their 2008, uh, you know, downturn. But, you know, if you backtest, Jeremy, like cyclicals and how cyclicals do after a recession ends, so if you just go back, you know, whether it's 2000, um, you know, downturn, the 2008 downturn, or even like if you look at like the 2015, it was, you know, the Greece, you know, kind of uh, downturn, you know, cyclicals do better, this basket of those four sectors better than the market, you know, in the one to two years after you get this downturn, you know, by definition, because you've got that boom bust scenario and the economy reflates tires and, you know, investors rotate out of the, you know, secular growth like the Amazons of the world into more cyclical oriented stocks. So, you know, I don't view it as a long-term strategic asset allocation, um, you know, which I know on your show you have a lot of RAs out there. But, you know, I think the next couple of years, it, it's certainly our, our, one of our higher conviction investment tilts that we're implementing for our investors. Now, how do you contrast that? I know one of the themes was also healthcare and, and things like genomics and biotech, which have been, you know, with the vaccine, the num- you know, one of the hottest trades of the year. We got some of the baskets up over 100, well over 100 percent. Um, on, in 2020, how do you think about sort of those depressed cyclical rotation type plays versus something like healthcare? Where's what's? How, do you think healthcare is continuing in, in 2021? Well, I, I you know so we're obviously pretty uh, bad healthcare crisis, and you know I, I think that you know that sector there's some really interesting themes going on. I think you got to pick and choose your subsectors per se, um, you know. But for us, you know, and, and just full disclosure. You know, our outlook report, you know, we own all the ETFs we mentioned for our investors, um, you know, but we're not putting like 25 percent of our clients portfolios in, in biotech or some genomic frequency uh, sequencing ETF that has a you know, 40 vol. Um, you know, these are either thematic model portfolios that we create or sleeve. So that's what we're seeing a lot of our investors do is, you know, they'll say, OK, we'll we'll, we'll take a globally diversified ETF managed portfolio uh, but we want to have 15% of the portfolio in a thematic sleeve. So that thematic sleeve can include some of those themes that I mentioned in our report, whether it's clean energy, you know, the biotech and whatnot. And, and I think, Jeremy, the idea there is that, you know, we want idiosyncratic stories in the portfolio, um, even if it's just a sleeve. You know, we want things to actually produce attractive risk-adjusted returns, you know, regardless of, you know, the Fed, the economic cycle, where the 10 years going and you know, if I think about everything that, you know, we've talked about so far, you know, these biotech companies, it doesn't really matter too much what happens with the 10-year or, you know, who's going to win the, you know, the party or whatnot. It's kind of just, it's its own thing. So I think if you have a diversified, you know, instrument that gives you exposure, you know, I think that could work well. And then it's, as long as it's sized appropriately in the portfolio from a risk standpoint, then, you know, I, I think we can get behind it. John, let me ask you a question with, you know, we, we had the 20 million vaccines that were supposed to be around by December 31st, but things have gotten off the fits and starts. seems like we got a little bit of a logistical problem. Is the street ahead of itself a little bit on, on how quickly we can reach herd immunity, maybe behind itself? Where, where do you fall into the, into the excitement with respect to how fast we can get past this thing? Well, I mean, from a, like a portfolio construction standpoint, I, I think the, you know, what's driving, you know, stocks is, um, you know, this liquidity, this embedded Fed put. And I just want to give credit to where credit's due. I mean, I started my career in 1999 in Merrill Lynch's equity derivative research. And, and the guy that, you know, was the head of the group, uh, you know, he invented the, the, the Greenspan put 
So this concept of which has now been used, you know, in everyday language, and it's gone from the Greenspan put to the Bernanke put. So just just this concept of that you know, the Fed is going to provide this implicit floor to asset prices, you know, it certainly resonated me for the last you know over 20 years, and I just think that you know people will turn on TV and see a, a slow vaccine rollout or what's going on with Congress. But if you just think about you know smart portfolio construction, macro cross asset stocks of forward-looking yeah. indicators, there's tons of liquidity. You know, the, the the rate at which we're increasing our balance sheet now is, you know, faster than we've had in, you know, even the 2008. So for us, that's kind of what we do to kind of define our portfolio construction process. You had all this hectic, crazy protests in the Capitol this week, and the markets just don't care. They look past it. They say none of this stuff matters. Is that is that surprising to you at all? I mean, I... I even I mentioned my mentor, you know, he invented this green, Greenspan put. But, yeah, I mean, you could look at Warren Buffett and, you know, he talked about how, you know, the civil wars in this country and, and whatnot. And I think Dr. Siegel's also mentioned this stuff, too. So, you know, if you just think of stocks as these long-duration assets, you know, this discount the mechanism. I mean, so you're asking me a pointed question, Jeremy. I mean, yes, I was surprised that they, uh, you know, they, overthrew the, they tried to overthrow the Capitol building that the market rallied that day. But, you can't deny that there is just massive liquidity in the system and there's just an excitement from the retail community, you know, which, you know, we all have family and friends and we know the, you know, the stories of the infatuation with investing now. I mean, that has not been around in 20 years, right? So this very much, Jeff, I agree with you that this feels like the late 90s were just this euphoric um, sentiment from investors. And that is populating in, in some of the stocks you mentioned and Certainly some of the ETFs out there that get a lot of attention, um, you know, so our point is like, you know, just model it appropriately, size the risk accordingly, um, you know, where it makes sense and, and just, you know, know what you own and be careful. So we've tried to, you know, in that report, and again, that report is just, you know, 10 kind of themes. I mean, there's other themes that, you know, that get incorporated into our investment process, but th- those are the ones where I felt like there was, you know, some reasonable return per unit of risk and, and you know, more satellite-type positions. Very good. We're talking with John Dobby of Astoria Advisors, Jeff Winger, Director at Wisdom Tree. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. You know, we're talking about global markets, the themes that Astoria is behind for 2021. Uh, one of the big stories this week has been China, uh, and sort of there's all these Trump executive orders to uh, ban investment in certain uh, companies tied to China's military activities. There are all sorts of questions about who qualifies, who doesn't. There was some back and forth from the NYSC that was was first going to delist some Chinese ADRs, and they did turn their mind, and then they turned their mind a third time this week, all back and forth. I mean, a lot of havoc, actually. Um, like, what do these mean? And then how does the Biden plan come in? Um, and are they going to change any of the executive orders? Um, but, John, one of your themes for 2021 is China. How are you thinking about that? How do you think about these executive orders? What's what's your story? So I'll, I'll first start with just, you know, the, the kind of, the bull case for it, and then we can talk about the regulatory risk. But you know, the bull case is that we just want to play the you know the grown consumer demand theme, and you know you really got to pick the right instrument to you know express that view. Um, you know, broad-based China indices could have like a lot of financials, which you know we always thought there was risk in and and using those instruments. So if you find instruments that are playing you know the consumer demand story, you know, internet type stocks. Um, if you purchase, you know, technology type stocks, you know, I think that where is where you've historically had the right, um, you know, kind of edge when you're playing China. So, you know, I had thought for a while that China, you know, long term, separately, you know, 10 years out, you know, is a theme that made sense to have in a portfolio. It was going to become and it is becoming a bigger part of the MSCI indices. And, you know, the, the valuations and the earnings growth, you know, kind of supported it. So, you know, it had been trade in broad-based China indices, depending on how you slice it up. But the way we look at it, you know, more the consumer uh, play, you know, it had traded at a discount to the S&P multiple. So, and you were getting pretty strong earnings growth. And, you know, last year was a good year. You know, the, you know, the, the China indices that we followed, you know, outperformed the S&P 500 you know, on an absolute risk-adjusted basis. So, you know, it made sense to have it in a portfolio. And the other reason, Jeremy, to have it, it was, 
you know, it's one of those idiosyncratic stories to have in a portfolio, which I mentioned, you know, we really want to guide our investors to kind of looking at these uh, type scenarios where it doesn't really matter too much about, you know, what the Fed does. Um, Okay, so now the regulatory risk. So, you know, it it is a concern. Um, You know, I think we're further uh, diversifying our exposure, um, you know, by looking at other instruments. And, and, you know, the bottom line, I think if they get kicked out of the U.S. exchanges, you know, these companies will just list in in China. So that won't be too problematic. Um, Now, if there's some outright ban in issuing, you know, Chinese listed products, then, you know, we have a bigger problem. Everyone does. Um, so I, I, I think the risks are okay. And then when I see like a blue sweep, um, you know, I just think that there's going to be less emphasis on, you know, trying to, you know, push trade wars and try and push some international agenda. You know, just this country has a lot of its own issues to deal with in, in the short term. And I think like trying to press on China was less relevant as you get a new administration on, on the 20th. Yeah. No, it's interesting. We we were talking about this theme, um, and sort of the, one of the critical things is a lot of these companies have been state-owned companies, and so thinking about that lens, you know, I, I don't think the the companies there's only very most of Trump named 35 companies that were tied to the military, and, and, and the vast majority were parts of the state, not state-owned companies, and a few that were involved in, in surveillance and monitoring um, of the Uyghurs, but that that's sort of a, a smaller part that was sort of less quote unquote state-owned. Um, but you know, I think the 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 ones the headlines later this week were, you know, Trump administration thinks about Alibaba and Tencent, and would they try to extend them? And you had headlines going back and forth on the two majors. I mean, these are the major tech stories, um, and you know, those are now like the biggest holdings in most emerging market strategies. China, um, Broad EM, you know, they're now the biggest companies. And and it's interesting. I mean, they, when you say who can rival Google, Facebook, um, Amazon, you know, the Alibaba's and Tencent's are our powerhouses there. And, you know, I think, you know, what, what, you know, if, if that were to come to pass, that would be really big news. And now, you know, the question is the new administration, will they have the same, you know, will they revert to any of the Trump executive orders? The word, what we're hearing is, is there's no plans to reverse the, the current executive orders that banned the, the current set of companies, but, you know, will they expand it? This is going to be one of the most important relationships to, to be watching. Yeah, I, I so the, what you just said to me looks like an opportunity. If, if, if China were to be selling off, the problem is that it keeps rallying. You know, the, the Chinese market this year is up, you know, it's one of the leaders of, of, of the global equity indices pack. So, yeah. but, you know, I think you, you raise, and I'd like to hear what Jeff has to say, but you raise a bigger issue, which is that, you know, once you start going down, so let's talk about portfolio construction for a second. So, you know, everyone could build like a, you know, four ETF portfolio, you know, U.S. and international stocks and U.S. and international bonds. Once you deviate from that, you, know, you start to become more active. And, you know, if you're going to include an outright China position and that one instrument you use in, you've got 40% in Alibaba and Tennyson, then, you know, it's your job, right, as a portfolio manager or as an advisor to, to monitor these positions. And, and that's one thing we do, you know, very often. I mean, there's, you know, some great tools out there. Some of them are free, some of them you have to pay for it. But, that's why we're constantly, you know, on a monthly basis, we'll analyze all our holdings. So our, our typical global ETF portfolio will have, you know, 10, 15 ETFs. But if you think about all the line items, it's, you know, 10,000. So you really got to have an aggregated tool that kind of analyzes what your overall portfolio risk is. And then you want to look within the ETF constantly to ensure that you understand what the holdings are. And you know, it worked very well when Alibaba and Tennyson went up a couple hundred percent, but that led to concentration risk. So, you know, we are actively diversifying away from just, you know, broad-based, you know, China indices and just to still play that theme, um, but just, you know, carry less risk on just two names, which make up 40%. But what are, what are your thoughts, Jeff? Jeff, do you have any views on Alibaba Tennyson? <laughs> no shortage of views when it comes to um, China, Chinese equities, and, and and CNY, the currency as well. Look, it it, it is a, a an acceleration when you go from essentially call it thirty or sixty days ago, you know, list out these thirty companies with ties to the PLA, People's Liberation Army, and you look at the list and you don't know a lot of the names, and then suddenly it does start to evolve to names that are the equivalent of like an Amazon, right? I mean, they're the top top of the broad market, um, 
you, you know, you open up anybody's fund. These are the big holdings. And then also, John, think about it. With broad EM, you, know, you go back to your, your career started to, around the same time as me many, many years ago. Broad EM was oftentimes Mexico, Brazil, the old Eastern Bloc, and now it has morphed into this China plus Taiwan plus everybody else. It's it's one of those situations. And so th- this line item in portfolios, EM, is really just a, a, a question now for, for whether, you know, 50, 60, 70 percent. What is what is your opinion on on China and Taiwan? Now, one of the things I've been I've been pointing out that I think is critical to note is half the battle with the emerging equities or Chinese equities specifically is whether or not you're getting the, the, the currency working for you or against you. Now, with, for example, with 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 CNY, um, when it's weakening, it does tend to aid business fortunes. Uh, but it hurts your performance when you're translating back to U.S. dollar and, and you own Chinese equities. Well, one of the things that's been going on considerably, and you've noticed this specifically November and December, as the markets started to price away from the gridlock towards more along the lines of the blue wave because the Georgia Senate race was shifting from improbable to, hey, this could happen, you saw appreciation in the Chinese currency during that time. And so this has been going on now since springtime. It uh, it goes back to what I think we had, which was much to Trump's chagrin, Trump was actually the strong dollar president. And, and Biden is the weak dollar president. This is why, this is why commodities, everything we were talking about earlier in the show, John, uh, commodities are, are ripping higher because the dollar is in the basement right now. And, and you're seeing it, emerging currencies are rallying, We've been talking about soybeans are rallying, corn is rallying, gold won't do anything. Gold's stuck here at $1,900, but copper, nickel, you name it. The question is, is, and maybe I'll toss it back to you here, the disinflationary secular growth themes that were the concept from, let's say, the March of 09 bottom till present, are those now flipping back into some sort of, it's all about China, it's all about commodities, super cycle, new regime in these markets if you go back the last couple months worth of action it seems that that's what the market is indicating to us yeah it's interesting i mean i so i i don't know um you know we try to i I think if you're going to watch one thing you know you just want to watch the u.s tenure and you know it's hard to you know watch you know soybeans and gold and you know everything but i think it's ultimately going to get reflected in the 10-year rate um, you know, which, as you guys have alluded to, has, you know, kind of really robustly passed, you know, to, uh, to 1% and above that. So, you know, at some point, you know, what I debate is, you know, what level does the 10-year, you know, whether it's one five, one seven five, at some point it's going to change asset allocation. And, you know, maybe you don't t- need to take as much risk in credit, um, you know, if you're going to get, you know, close to 2% on the, on the U.S. 10-year and what that does. You know, for earnings, if you've got you know the blue sweep, uh, you know, from if you get higher capital uh, capital gains taxes and and whatnot. So, you know, in the meantime, I think the shorter term trend is everything you said, which is you know weak dollar, you know Biden with the weak dollar, you know commodities bid, gold does poorly. But you know, again, going back to my point of like once you go down the commodity rabbit hole, you've got to really be careful, you know, what you're picking and choosing. So, you know, some investors may say, okay, I'll own gold as a commodity, but gold is what you wanted to own, you know, in 2018 when the Fed was doing quantitative tightening, 2019 as the cycle was coming to an end, as the economy was slowing, which it was doing. The pandemic was just the kind of cherry on the top um, leading to the full outright blown recession. But, you know, we saw this in 2000 where gold, you know, gold ETF assets exploded. At one point it was more than, you know, the, the regular – U.S. large cap index ETF, and um, you know I think it, 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 it exploded in terms of assets this year. But it's always people always time these things pretty late. Um, you know they're buying you know gold in, in 2020 when you should have owned it a couple years before that. Guys, this is Jeremy. I'm back. Uh, my 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 satellite device had connected out, but I think I'm back up and running. Um, but uh, yeah. sort of the. the uh, I, I know we we were talking China when I cut out, and then I just heard some of the commodity discussion. Did did you know when? You... Well, maybe we lost Jeremy again. Good thing I'm his colleague, so I'll ask another <laughs> question, John. 
John, you had made a reference there to the cap gains rate. And this was an issue. I I felt like it was an issue in the wake of the election was, you know, uh, Biden had mentioned something on the order of um, if you were north of a million dollars annually, which does not snag many people. Um, but they, they might do something along the lines of and you saw Siegel mentioned this earlier in the call. They might do something retroactive to January 1st, 2021, which was seven days ago. Uh, so you'd be locked in at this point. Earn more than a million dollars a year. Your your cap gains rate could be doubled. Is this something that's a real risk? Maybe, maybe not. Um, is it, or, or is it something that the street is missing? Well, uh, retroactively making a policy in place, just, you know, I, I don't know mm. enough about that. That strikes me as my, you know, my blick first instinct is that that would you know seem tough um you know we're not big politicians we're kind of quants and, and macro research guys at yeah. store advisors but you know what i would say is that i mean there's, there's so much that needs to happen you know in the next you know six months for this country with this you know pretty horrific uh pandemic and and you know it just feels wrong if like the first thing you're going to do is raise corporate taxes um, and push that agenda. I, I, I do genuinely think that with this new administration, they're going to try and heal some of the wounds that we've had in this country from the pandemic and all the other um, political, you know, n- noise and riots we've had. So I would just, you know, play it safe in terms of like, you know, from a portfolio construction standpoint, which, you know, one of the things we do, Jeff, at, at, at our firm is we do have alternatives as a fixture in our portfolio because we just never know what's going to happen like you know you just said some retroactive capital gains tax that goes up so you know my message for investors is that if you've appropriately allocated your portfolio um you know into alternatives which are inversely correlated to your stocks then you know you should play uh you know then that can play you know play into your hand a little bit and i don't think that bonds are going to do it for you because it's a positive correlation between stocks and bonds so that that's my message um mm-hmm. without, without trying to be like a forecaster for what policy may, may happen but right. certainly it's a risk and that's what i think you know one of the questions you had earlier is you know blue sweep blue sweep how come the market doesn't sell off on that and we talked about why it's because of liquidity but no doubt a blue sweep is going to lead to less friendly business policies for stocks you know it just may not happen until you know 2022 or later yeah. Okay. So, so we're talking here, um, John Dobby, about the the inversely correlated to equities faults. Elaborate on that. Well, I, so just if you run some, you know, analysis just to see, okay, you've got stocks in, in your portfolio. Which instruments out there, you know, provide inverse correlations? So, you know. Gold is one of them. Gold is inversely correlated, as you see now. Right? Gold has been going down and stocks has been going up, so that's good. That balances out your portfolio risk. Um, you know, there are, and, and I'm not going to mention specific funds or tickers because I know we no. can't, but we use, you know, like a merger arbitrage strategy. So if you think about a classic merger arbitrage, you know, you're going long to target, short to acquire. I mean, that really has nothing to do with China or Biden or, or Trump or anything. It's, I mean, some of it, because if the economy does poorly, then, you know, maybe companies aren't going to do M&A, you know, M&A uh, strategy. But that specific fund or any fund that does that is going to have a short component. So that's nice, right? So we're buying an ETF in our portfolio, but there's an inherent short component within our portfolio so that diversifies our portfolio risk. Um, there's a, another, like, long, short market neutral strategy that, we use where it goes, you know, long, low beta stocks and, and short, high beta stocks, which, you know, generally when you have these risk-off events, you know, people buy you know, like utilities and staples, which are lower beta and they short uh, higher beta stocks. Um, so the, you know, some of these strategies I mentioned and you know are persistently negatively correlated to stocks, and then, you know, in some instances they could be inversely correlated to bonds. So, you know, we would rather have. Um, in fact, if you look at our portfolios and you can go to storiaadvisors.com, you know, we generally will have um, better performance during volatile periods, which is what happened, you know, in March, April last year, where, you know, our portfolios on a relative basis did well. Um, and then they lag when you get these rip-roar markets because there is a cost of owning these alternatives. It's kind of like insurance Right. So if you you know have a car, you know, you have car insurance, you pay that premium no matter what, 
and the only time you get paid is if you go into a car accident. Same thing with alternatives in a fund structure. So that's our point. And, um, you know, I'll just summarize by saying, Jeff, like if you're really worried about some specific risk, then, you know, the way to solve for that is either you, I mean, first of all, you then that means you're taking too much risk, right? You have too much stocks and not enough, you know, cash in your account or bonds, or you need to own more alternatives. So somewhere between five to 15% is how we're set up at our funds. The higher risk strategies, you know, may have more, um, more exposure, but I think 15% is kind of like the right number for, for a, a balanced moderate portfolio. Hi guys, Jeremy's back again, on and on, on again, off again on this internet day. Um, we're talking with John Davi of Astoria Advisors, Jeff Winninger, Director of Asset Allocation Wisdom Tree. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, uh, as long as my internet complies here. Um, but John, it's been interesting talking about all these major themes. Uh, when you think about the industry, the trends that we're going, you know, you've been looking at ETS for such a long time. As you think about some of the customization, as you're as you're looking at providing different solutions to various clients, how are you thinking about different uh, types of ways you're delivering your models, different technologies? How, how do you think about customization of things? So I'm glad you asked that, Jeremy. And you know, we have evolved. Um, you know, when we launched Story Advisors three and a half years ago, you know, we, we were just going to be the ETF strategist, and we were going to try and have an edge because our background being macro, cross-asset, quantitative, um, you know, but we started getting advisors that came to us and, and those are our end clients. Like we don't have like John Smith around the corner that, you know, gives us money. Um, you know, we, we just have advisors that are, you know, first of all, they can build a lot of portfolios themselves because they have tools online and, you know, you all do a good job of giving away tools and models. Uh, and, and so does everyone else have models out there for free. So our pivot was to say, okay, how do we provide an edge? And, and you know, we started getting into putting together quantitative portfolios um, of stocks and then blending these stock plus ETF portfolios. So uh, we could have an advisor that comes in and says, you know, I've got a client that has a 60-40 risk tolerance, but they need to own stocks. Um, because as Jeff keeps talking about Tesla and Apple stock, let's say, um, so our vantage point is, okay, we're never going to pick and choose stocks because we don't think we can do that because in the end, we do believe, you know, passive, you know, kind of makes more sense. So what we've done, Jeremy, is systematically create, you know, quantitative thematic stock portfolios. So, you know, what we'll do is we'll blend, you know, a theme like, you know, it could be high growth, it could be high quality, it could be disruptive growth, where we're trading, you know, the online stocks, you know, concentrated 30 stocks, equally weighted, so we're not making a big bet on one stock, and then we're going to balance out that risk by providing, you know, an ETF sleeve against that. Uh, so a couple of tools we use, you know, we're, we're, we've used, you know, your online uh, portal, Jeremy, uh, Wisdom Trees, you know, got some portfolio construction models. Uh, I really like this tool, ETFaction.com. It's, it's by far the best ETF tool on the street, hands down. You know, it, it blows, I think, the competition away. We do use Bloomberg Risk. Um, so, you know, we'll have that theme that I mentioned, that targeted standard deviation, but ultimately, you know, everything is stress-tested and back-tested to ensure that we know the risk of the portfolio. Yeah, it's sort of interesting in terms of where all the tools that are, are evolving and uh, and how, how you can customize things and, and even go – you know, and, and, and provide more even, you know, sort of custom indexing is one of the things I think you've, you've been providing, let's say, different portfolios on, on different thematic baskets to, to try to get down to the individual stock level, too. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, that's the word that maybe I should be marketing it as, is custom indexing, um, you know, but, but the technology and the software has gotten better, so that that's good. Um, you know, and I think that their, you know, advisors have learned and the end clients have learned over the years you know, not to panic, to understand their risk tolerance. And, and, you know, there's studies out there that shows, you know, Vanguard takes in money when you've got, you know, the the March-April 2020 scenario. So they've trained their investors to learn to kind of buy and hold. So, so that all works well. But the thing, Jeremy, is that, you know, we still have this thirst for alpha um, by clients that just want movement in the portfolio. So, you know, one of the things that I think is, is a negative against an ETF managed portfolios, you know, I mentioned before that you'll have 10, 15 ETFs, so you wind up having 10,000 line items. 
So, you know, a standard ETF model portfolio last year, you know, may have only been up, you know, 6 to 8%, depending on how you constructed it. But, you know, some of these, you know, themes in the marketplace, whether it's high growth, high quality, you know, substantially higher returns. And, you know, there's just demand for that. And, you know, we have the tools and the skills to kind of do that. Now, there's a tax angle, right? Because if you're doing it in a regular account, you, you'll never meet the, the, the dream scenario of an ETF. Um, so you kind of got to pick and choose how you do these themes or where you do these themes. But, you know, in a tax-deferred account, I, I do think that, um, you know, custom indexing is going to really kind of be uh, a good kind of scenario for, for, for certain clients. Um, so what are, what are the other major themes you're seeing across advisors who are looking to you as solutions? Like, what are they trying to solve for when, when people come to a story advisor's? So one of them is, um, you know, income. So that is, uh, you know, something that we're actively uh, doing um, in terms of, like, you know, option overriding strategies uh, to try and solve for income. And that can get tough when you've got a rip-roaring bull market. So the desire for investors to have income is not going away. Uh, and there's, you know, some volatility selling strategies you can do um, in, in, in accounts. And, and that's a very specific client can kind of do that. So that's one thing. We've got a lot of desire for like ESG, um, you know, invest in. Uh, so we put together like a sleeve of like ESG model portfolios. And what's been encouraging on that front is that, um, you know, on our side, we do have a quality bias. And, and that's, you know, something that I've, I know I've talked with you, Jeremy, on, on this show. But, you know, we do like high quality stocks. And, you know, if you just run like a uh, R-square between quality ETFs and versus the standard, you know, ESG ETFs, you know, you'll see like a very high correlation. So we kind of joke that we've been like, a, you know, an ESG-centric firm because we've had these quality ETFs in our portfolios as, as the core for, for a while. So ESG has definitely been, you know, more uh, in demand, uh, but it's really blending like solutions of like custom thematic stock portfolios along with ETFs that I think will get more and more relevant, particularly when you've got this backdrop of, you know, lo, you know, an embedded Fed put in the marketplace, um, yep. you know, all this stimulus in, in the market. So advisors are, are increasing their risk and the desire to have more risk in the portfolio. Now, that could be a separate discussion. We've got to go. What you think. John, it's, uh, it's been a great conversation. Thanks, everyone, for patience with my technology here. We've been Jeff Winninger, John Davi with Story Advisors. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. It's a great first way to start 2021. Uh, have a great uh, week, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit wisdomtree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz. I'd like to thank Patty Hall for producing our live program on SiriusXM channel 132 and our podcast producer, Daniel Bruno. Join us next week for another edition of the show. Insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.